Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Gals of Geekdom podcast. I am one of your hosts, Crystal Williams. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm joined by my equally lovely and talented, amazing, funny, uh, awesome co-host, Ashley and Jazzy. Hi. I am. I'm the Jazzy, she, they. I am Ashley, she, they. We are both she, they's. Shays? Shays. Shays. And um, it has a distinct odor in here. It smells of um of hoe. You, that's my joke. I'll kill you. No, you won't. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. You uh, can't. Speaking, you can't speaking. murder me. I'm over here in California. You'd have to get over here. I guess I'll have to fly my spaceship there. Speaking of spaceship, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. That is a segue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's. it's um, I'm very. I'm. We have established that I am very good at segues. Do you have a segue that you just rolled around your house? So Riding how was this too. Guardian? How was this Galaxy Guardian movie that 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 you love so much? It's the third Galaxy Guardian movie. I will have you know. And it was pretty dang good. It, I, I've said this before, but it was the last MCU movie I was actually looking forward to. And uh, I think now, um, having seen the last Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I think it's time for me to get off the MCU train because this is an appropriate stopping point. Like, it felt very final watching it, if you if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I get what you yeah. mean. Yeah, it's a very it's a very satisfying ending to these characters. That's good. I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. Yeah, oh. uh, I cried two times, both of which at scenes involving Rocket. Ah, uh, that's that's what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Well, um. I wish we could add more to the conversation other than I know that I'm very excited about the movie. I do love uh, uh, James Gunn's work. I think he's incredibly talented. Uh, he has a really good sense of, like, heart that are, like, present throughout his films. Like, even his, like, some of his more, like, like either date, some somewhat dated or at least darker, edgier films, it, he tends to have... Uh, sense of humanity to them, and I kind of like that. Yeah, and uh, since he's confirmed to be writing and directing the next Superman movie, like I, I have complete faith that it's going to be good. I mean, I think he has he has a great understanding of who the character is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's it for James Gunn at Marvel. This reminds me, I'm going to have to buy the Awesome Mix Volume Three. <laughs> Yeah, the the needle drops in volume three are great as they always are in this trilogy. I saw him on Twitter today, and I didn't read the full tweet because I didn't feel like um, like potentially spoiling myself for anything. But it sounds like for every movie that he's done, uh, especially even the third one, he had to fight tooth and nail to make sure that that song was the right one chosen. Mm-hmm. Or at least that his choice was the one they kept. And um like to his credit, he's very good at needle drops. 
he is a kind of masterful at knowing how to use music to inform the story as opposed to like using mu- music to cover um blank spots also in- have either of you seen the guardians of the galaxy holiday special i did no. I, I, actually, I actually really liked it i thought it was very sweet so jazzy like the one thing you need to know from that special and you know it's it's not very spoilery but like it's probably something you could have guessed but Peter and Mantis are brother and sister. Okay. So, yeah, that's, like, all you need to know from that special to get into Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Gotcha. All right. Yep, that's that's not really a spoiler moment. I mean, it's it's a it's an important character bit, but I still think that's... That, that, as, it, as it comes back around to the holidays, I recommend watching it, Jazzy. It's a, it's a very cute holiday. Yeah. Like special, it's good. It's I mean, it's it's Gunn's talent putting you know. If you feel like the characters, it's it's all there, you know. Um, all right. So all right. Uh, next up uh, on the docket, uh, Evil Dead Rise. Uh, Crystal still has not seen it, but Jazzy no. has. Yes, I have, and I really liked it. In your rankings, uh, where does this sit? Okay, so if I were to rank all the Evil Dead movies from personal favorite to least favorite, I would go from best to worst. Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, mm-hmm. Evil Dead Rise, mm-hmm. Evil Dead 2013, and original Evil Dead, which I know okay. is a hot, I know that's a spicy ass fucking take, but. But you still like the original Evil Dead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep in mind, I say all this with the caveat that there's no bad Evil Dead movie, so. Yeah. That's okay, fair. so, and as for me, here's how I'd rank it from best to worst. Uh, Evil Dead 2, uh, all three seasons of Ash vs. Evil Dead, because they're all of pretty similar quality. Yeah. Um, uh, Evil Dead 2013, uh, Evil Dead Rise. <laughs> Uh, original Evil Dead and Army of Darkness, and again, I, I like them all. Well, you're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> well, I I do think what's interesting between the Evil Dead fandom is like, um, because that John that that series has expanded like from films that take themselves more seriously to the more hyper goofy ones. It's really interesting where people like land in terms of their personal favorites because. I know that I, I I always like Evil Dead most, even though I love each each entry. I love love Evil Dead most when it's being its goofiest, and I think that has to do with me being exposed to it first through Army of Darkness, watching it on the Sci Fi Channel in the early two thousands. Um, so I think I think that's kind of where I I line up. If you, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And one thing to keep in mind uh, before you see the movie is that it does keep, like, the dour tone of Evil Dead 2013, but it does sprinkle in some goofy moments here and there. There is def- there is definitely a bit of camp here and there. So you'd say it's more camp a bit than, than the 2013? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's- okay, I'll, I'll also say that, like, I, I think I've said this before, but Alyssa Sutherland... She based her Deadite performance off of Jim Carrey in The Mask, and I think it shows. Yes. It really does. 
<laughs> she was glorious. I loved her. Well, it's always fun when you can see an actor get a chance to play one of the Deadites because you know that they're having the greatest time in terms of like embracing the like it's it's like full theatrics with a Deadite, you know. Hmm. Uh, I will. I will still say that Evil Dead 2013 is probably still the most gruesome one in the series, but there's definitely some squeamish moments in Evil Dead Rise, particularly. Oh. Yeah, particularly, I thought this. Was... Go ahead. Uh, particularly with a scene involving a cheese grater. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I actually think this one was the most gruesome because it made me the most. I'll say this. I'm not the type of person who gets squeamish at gore in movies, but Rise is one of the few exceptions. Like, I was actually a little uncomfortable during a few bits. Yeah, it's um, not just the cheese grater bit. Like, there's some bits involving glass and needles. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, my, my tolerance for gore, for movie gore is a little bit higher. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I did watch. I still think Terrifier Two is extremely excessive. Oh yeah, <laughs> Terrifier Two is out there. <laughs> I, I, but I actually fucking love Terrifier Two. Like, I think the first Terrifier is is a really I the interesting. First Terrifier was okay. It was an interesting um example of some special effects. Like, the special effects were really good, but I thought the story was just meh. But Terrifier 2 was, like, legit really, really fun. Yeah, and they made a really interesting story, and they made a they gave a, a heroine, which I really liked that they did the Evil Dead thing where you add add a hero character to balance out your villain, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and the I will say that the bedroom death scene in Terrifier 2 was one of the most gruesome gore horror scenes I've seen in in quite a long time because of how excessively mean mean it is. It's incredibly mean-spirited. Easily one of the most gruesome deaths in any movie ever. <laughs> I think I've ever seen. I mean, imagine, like, ripping somebody apart and then also taking the time to pour salt and bleach on them. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, Art, the, Art the Clown is a meanie. He's he's a is a very cruel movie. I would say the gore in that movie is excessively cruel, but not to the point where I got pulled out. Where I'm like, there. I think it rides that fine line of like being really gory and cruel while not going too overly cruel. You know, like yeah, I, feel I know like, what you mean. Yeah, you you get what I'm trying to say. And again, what's really interesting about, I know I'm bringing up Terrifier and Relation Evil Dead, they kind of relate in the fact that they're both gory, gory franchises, gory franchises with a lot of, a lot of personality. But like, I, I would say to what, what I find very fascinating about Terrifier 2 as a film, I don't think it's the greatest film ever made. I don't think it's the greatest horror film. There's better made examples. But the fact that it's such a small film that it released itself unrated, so that it didn't have to go through an MPAA's like ratings board, and the fact that it made millions and millions of dollars for a tiny film that didn't even get a rating is kind of amazing. And also, uh, I do want you to keep one thing in mind. Uh, Bruce Campbell tweeted something interesting today. So he retweeted someone that said, "I just really miss Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams," and he said, "I'm starting to miss him too, just a little bit." Huh. Do not, do not do this to me, man. 
Don't give me hope. <laughs> do not do this to me, man. I mean, Don't after playing with me. After um, I know after Ash vs. Evil Dead was done, he said that he was done with live action, live action with the character. But and then you know, a few years later, he was Ash in in the video game. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but that's voice acting. So I think that's why he felt the need to stress that if Ash vs. Evil Dead were to be revived, it would be an animated form. I think that, that, that in my view, I think that works, you know? Yeah. But the thing about it is, like, if they are going to do an animated Evil Dead, they have to go all the way with the animation. And the gore. Mm-hmm. Like, they cannot half-ass it even one little bit. I'd be very, I mean, I'd. And I don't think they will, but. What was the animation team that did Castlevania? Do you know? Not no, let me find out. Because I feel like the, the, the gore in that show and the animation was great. I feel like they could do a good job with, with Evil Dead, but I'm not sure. Uh, it was, uh, Powerhouse Animation Studio. They're an American company? Uh, I think so. Hold on. Powerhouse Animation. Uh, American based in Austin, Texas. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, hey, my old stomping ground. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Was just they curious. Did, uh, they did. They also did Masters of the Universe Revelation. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. I heard it was pretty good. Uh, okay, KO. So, yeah, they would be a good studio to do an Evil Dead series. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they would... They would do well. I I I I'm I'm a big fan of Castlevania. I think that show rocked. Like that was a very well well made show. Uh, you said you only saw like the first few episodes, right? Yeah, of Castlevania, yeah, I saw the first season. It's only four episodes. Yeah, the first yeah. season is the first like four episodes. Yeah, hence why I say I saw the first season because I only watched the first few episodes, and that was the first season. <laughs> You uh, exactly. you liked those, right? You liked yeah, it, right? yeah, I, yeah. I liked them. I, I I just kept forgetting to continue it. So you should finish it when you get a chance. I think it, it'd be up your alley. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the thing, um, Crystal. We we will have plenty of opportunity to get to get to Castlevania and uh, all the other stuff that we want to get to soon enough. So just hang in there. Uh, oh, well, yeah, yeah. Speak. Speaking of animation, I watched a movie that I watched. Oh, <laughs> and what movie might that be, Jazzy? So, over the last couple weeks, I saw clips coming out for a certain crossover movie, and these clips kind of became the punching bag of Twitter. So I kind of knew I had to watch it. <laughs> and what might it be? It was oh, Justice League. It was Justice League X Ruby Superheroes and Huntsmen Part One. Oh no! Oh, it's a two-part thing. Yeah, apparently Part Two is coming out. I don't know if they're it's coming out next year or sometime with, before the end of the year or whatever. But yeah, it's it's Part One because DC animated movies like doing this. Now I love Justice League shit, and I do really like Ruby. So I was kind of interested to see where this uh, crossover, what this crossover would do for me as someone who likes both these properties. It's not very good. <laughs> no way. So, uh, should I acknowledge the elephant in the room with this movie first? The fucking DC character designs? 
that. I think I've uh, seen them. Like, as Jazzy was watching the movie, she was, like, giving me a play-by-play of the entire thing. And the first thing she did was send me the character designs, and they are not that good. I only sent you the ones for... I only sent you Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. And I'll say, of the three, Wonder Woman looks the best, so... (laughs) Yeah, but they still didn't look that good. Right. Superman looked really off. And Batman does not look like Batman, but it's rather fitting because Batman is horribly fucking written in this movie. <laughs> he is the worst part. I hated Batman in this movie. <laughs> I'm tired of fucking movies screwing up Batman. Stop it. Stop it. I can only watch my child being murdered for so long. <laughs> well, kind of like he could only watch his parents being murdered for so long. Right. Like, no, I'll just say right now, yeah, Batman was the worst part of this movie because it's like, so one thing that this movie does that I find kind of stupid is they try to reframe all the Justice League characters' powers around how magic and shit works in Ruby, which is just dumb because that kind of takes the fun out of a crossover, you know? So, but for Batman, who already doesn't have powers, they decided to give him powers, which is... It comes in the form of literal bat wings and bat powers, which is kind of disappointing because the thing about Ruby that's always cool is the fact that there's, like, this super high-tech shit used to make all these kind of cool-ass weapons and stuff. And I'm wondering, oh, my God, how cool would it be to see fucking Batman make gadgets out of this shit? Yeah. It Missed sounded opportunity. like... It sounds like they should have just... I don't know. They... I, I, it sounds like they wanted to try and make it fit within the, 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 the rules of their own internal universe, right? But like, yeah, I wonder if maybe they should have just done it where it's like a, a multi, I know everyone's doing multiverse things, but I, that almost. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. And the thing is, the, the folks who write Ruby have been getting most of the blame for it on the internet when the writer, the, the person who wrote the script is primarily a DC writer. So, no, oh. I don't think this was the Ruby team's fault. I'm going to go ahead and say this was not them. Like, plus, I don't know, angsty teen Batman with literal bat wings and bat power sounds like a stupid idea DC had saved for a rainy day. I don't know. Like, seems like they could have done something. I don't know. They could have just made the characters the same, right? right. Like, it seems like they changed everybody. All right. the clips and, I've and, seen, it's, like, weird. Yeah, and the setup for this movie is just fucking odd and not even in a charming way. So the whole thing is, like, um, Ruby, Team Ruby has basically been, tell Team Ruby, as well as a few other minor char- um, recurring characters in the show, have been teleported into kind of this nebulous where things have happened in the show's continuity, but... Not in the way they remember, I guess. And like throughout the movie, you have, they have flashes of their memory of how things actually are, and they're kind of dealing with the fuck with stuff like without spoiling anything. Oh, this character is here again, but I saw them die. What the fuck's going on? So it's kind of shit like that. But also, DC characters were teleported there, and I don't get it. Like. <laughs> It feels like they spent way too much time over-explaining when what they just should have done is just, hey, DC characters are here. What's going on? Let's go. <laughs> I think that would have been a safer option, too. Then they wouldn't have to rethink how to try to cram these characters into their universe and, like, 
stretch the believability and basically make the fun of it is seeing these famous DC characters interacting with these already popular characters in the Rovieverse. Right. And like, like and why? A, oh, yeah. God. I'm just saying, why screw with that? They had an right. easy layup of it, you know? And without spoiling anything, in case anyone listening cares, there is a twist in this movie about who's in, why this is all happening and who's responsible. And let me tell you, it relies on you having very specific knowledge of a very specific DC villain. <laughs> Oh, mm-hmm. so are you, yeah. gonna, are you gonna spoil this or 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 not? I, I, I might as well stop right now if you don't want it spoiled. But who fucking cares? So the revelation is that it's a villain named Kilgore, who I didn't know who that fucking was, so I had to research. And it's like it's a random ass Flash villain responsible for. That. I've heard of Kilgore, but that's a weird choice. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Like, and and keep in mind, like, sometime earlier in the movie, they theorized that Brainiac might have been responsible, which probably would have been a better idea, all things considered. Um, I, yeah, that would have been an iconic character to put in. Right, right, and I, I that would have been cool. But no, it's fucking Kilgore, and I don't know who that is. Whatever. Um, the mo- I, I don't want you to think that this movie's completely terrible and completely shit because it actually had things I liked in it. If I'm be- to be completely fair, like um, so there's a subplot regarding the Ruby character Jean and the Green Lantern, which credit where credit is due, they went with Jessica Cruz for um Green Lantern this time and not the usual choices of Hal Jordan or John Stewart. I think that's worth mentioning. And there's uh-huh. a whole subplot of Jessica trying to find the Green Lantern ring and everything so that she can basically save the day. And the character's constantly dealing with anxiety and insecurity that Jean has to basically help her through. And it was kind of, these scenes were very nice. I liked them. And the moment where she finally gains confidence in herself, finds the ring, and recites the Green Lantern oath was pretty fucking metal, I won't lie. That's cool. Um... I cannot bring myself to hate the sapphic trio of Blake, Yang, and Wonder Woman. That is good. I am happy with that. Okay, yeah. Um, And then near the end of the movie, um, they, along with Vixen, just ride motorcycles into battle. So we have the lesbian biker brigade. I am fine with this. (laughs) Okay. So Um, it seems like they did the best with the script they were given. Right, right. I think the creatives did the best they could, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't really blame the creatives for how this movie turned out. This Because a lot of the bad parts of this movie just have, like, corporate mandate written all over it. Um, I, uh, what else did I like? Action scenes were fun, which is pretty standard for Ruby. Like, the animation team clearly had fun really working to see how these characters who don't who aren't part of this world would fight in this world so that was kind of fun to see it's where the crossover element really shines in my opinion Mm. uh animation's good voice acting's pretty solid across the board um i do find it shitty that in the opening credits they only like in terms of the actors they only list like a few of the major actors they got for DC characters and, like, none of the fucking Ruby voice actors. So that's how you can tell this was more a Warner Brothers thing than, a, um, than something the creative team of Ruby wanted to do. That, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, any any big name on the voice actors for the DC characters? Nothing too big. Um, Nat Wolf um, of... Who of um, from the very popular and not at all hated movie Death Note 2017? He uh, voices Batman because okay. another another thing is that 
in warping to this world that like the DC characters are made into teenagers, which is kind of dumb. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's like there are moments throughout this movie where it feels like this idea of these two properties crossing over isn't dead on arrival, but it, it, they do nothing with it. Now I'm aware there's also a comic series that's has these two properties crossing over, and I don't know, maybe that's better, but it's, as far as this movie goes, I was just, I, even as someone who likes both these properties, I was just kind of underwhelmed the entire time. I didn't really hate it, per se. I was just kind of lost and bored on occasion, and then occasionally there'd be a moment where I'm like, oh, that's fun, and then immediately it'd go back to the story, and I'm like, what the fuck's happening? That seems uh, disappointing, but... At least it's not, like, horrendous, I suppose. <laughs> no, and in fairness, it is a very short movie. It clocks in at about 80 minutes, like... <laughs> okay, that's about that's about average for, like, a, a Warner Brothers straight-to-video Right, and, it, and, and that's, the best thing, that's the best thing I could say about it. It feels like a, a DC straight-to-video animated movie. Like, it's not terrible, but it's nothing that interesting. It's kind of like from... the Mortal Kombat animated movies. Yeah, it's it's far from the worst I've seen from them. Like, it didn't feel actively insulting to me like the Killing Joke movie was, but... I mean, there are some great examples of the straight-to-video stuff, but you're right, it does feel like a middle-of-the-road one, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it, and, and it's a shame, because there was create... There were moments in this movie where I was saying to myself, you know what, maybe the idea of these two IPs crossing over could be good. Like, maybe there was something here. But by the end, it was just kind of kind of dull. I mean, if nothing else, I was kind of... Most of my moments of charm were just from the Ruby side of things, because since they were back in the art style of seasons one through three, we got to see characters who hadn't been around for a while. So I was like, oh, it's cool to see that character again or whatever. <laughs> Like, I got most of the charm of this series came more from the Ruby stuff and less from the DC stuff. The only the only DC stuff that got much um, charm out of of me was, again, the Green Lantern subplot, which I thought was pretty great. And anything involving Wonder Woman hanging out and being part of the sapphic bike gang, as I have come to call them. Well, and, and it also made me realize, God, I want I want to see uh, Vixen do more shit because she's actually pretty fucking awesome. So, so Vixen is in this. Yeah. Um. So the DC characters who are in this are Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, specifically Jessica Cruz, Cyborg, Vixen, and Flash. Vixen's design is good. I was just was looking it up. Yeah, Flash looks like a fucking twink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm looking at it right now. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like I said, I totally. In terms of designs, I think the best of the bunch are Wonder Woman, uh, Vixen, and Green. I actually really liked how they worked with Green Lantern's design. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture right now just to just to get a get a feel of what it's like. And yeah, I think I think in terms of actually accuracy. It seems like Wonder Woman and Vixen are closest. Yeah. Like, Green Lantern works in the context that it's a Ruby-fied version of this character, I think, so. Yeah. Um, no, Cy- I, I get Cy- it. Cyborg is 
meh, probably the most middle I feel, mid I feel of all these designs. <laughs> and everyone else is just kind of bad, so. Shame. Mm-hmm. But, um, like I said, it's, it's not badly made by any means. Like I said, animation-wise, it looks great. Fight scenes were a lot of fun. Uh, and I thought everyone did very well on the voice acting side, on the voice acting side of things. Um, there's also a moment where Wonder Woman picks up someone, like, with two hands with no effort, and Yang having a gay panic moment was like, oh god, she's strong, and I can appreciate that. <laughs> I can appreciate when someone has taste, so. <laughs> I get it. This movie needed more gay, is what I'm realizing. <laughs> I think everything needs more gay. Like, like, you have... You have Ruby, which is a which is a series um, focusing primarily on f- female characters, um, a, two of which are now in a confirmed relationship with each other. Thank you, Volume Nine. <laughs> and, it took nine volumes for that to happen. Yeah, it took fucking forever, but it was worth it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, though it's not like they hadn't had gay characters before; they did. Like okay, like and then you have DC where. Depending on the writer, any one of these characters are gay as fuck, so. Um, yeah. yeah, true. I mean, you have Wonder Woman here who grew up, grew up, grew up as part of, uh, who grew up in Themyscira, so. Isn't she like, like, kind of mostly generally con- confirmed that she's bi? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. yeah yep, she's, yep, yep. which is, again, which is why I refer to the bit with her, Vixen, Blake, and Yang on motorcycles as the uh, sapphic motorcycle gang. Really, we just needed more of that. You could have just had the entire movie center on that, and it probably would have justified this, in t- this these two vastly different IPs having a crossover. Okay. But the thing is... Hear me out. Ruby and Justice League. Gang. That's all you needed, right? That That's really all you needed. And the thing is, I don't think the idea of the fact that these two properties are so different could have prevented a crossover from happening. One of my favorite crossovers from childhood is um, the Grim Adventures of the K&D, and those are two series with completely, like, different premises. Yeah, they, they blended together perfectly. Because they didn't spend so much time over explaining it. Because, like, okay, stuff like the Grim Reaper does not exist in the world of Kids Next Door, but fuck you, now it does, so... Also, you remember those Jimmy Neutron Fairly Odd Parents crossovers? Yeah, those were good as well. Like those, those had yeah. fun with the. Fa- I think what made that work is Fairly Odd Parents and Jimmy Neutron are very similar series, but the key difference is what the kids using to get into these adventures. With Jimmy, it's science. With Timmy, it's magic. Like the way Timmy looks in Jimmy Neutron's world is just really, really weird, and I don't like it. it, it admittedly, the. Jimmy Neutron characters translated better into the Fairly Odd Parents world than vice versa. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, I think. Well, I think the concept of like, I think that style of like three D animation, you have to be very specific with. You know, right, like, like when you when you're taking a two D character and putting it into three D, sometimes it can be really weird. And, also, and, the, and the thing with Justice League and Ruby is you could have just kept more traditional DC designs and just put them into Ruby. It could have worked, you know, like, like it could have worked fine. I'm not, I like, I don't understand why they felt the need to like 
make these designs the way they did, especially since you had Wonder Woman, who still had a relatively similar design to how she normally looks. So, I mean, wouldn't that also give the writers opportunity to plant in more sort of comments and references about their differences and how they look? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just had fun with that. Yeah, and there are moments where they kind of poke fun at, like, oh, God, this is weird. Like, you know, there's a bit where the Ruby characters are like, oh, you have someone in your world named Batman? What the fuck is up with that? Like, <laughs> Which makes sense to comment on, because that's a really weird thing to them. Like, <laughs> Yeah. But, like, and, and, but it, doesn't, it doesn't fucking work when he doesn't look like Batman. More <laughs> like um, that person. Right, and the other thing is that, of course, the big thing in this title is that glaring little part one. This is, like a lot of DC animated films that have been coming out recently, this is part one to, in a two-part special. I don't know what they plan to do for the next one. The first one did end on a cliffhanger where, basically, minor spoilers, while they, while they took care of Kilgore and everything and everything's good, it is implied that he is not the only one responsible for what happened and that a villain on the Ruby side of things may have had a part to play as well. Ah, oh, so, interesting. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, and speaking as a Ruby fan, I have no clue what they could be talking about here, so... Well, I guess when you eventually see part two... Yeah, Ho- hopefully it'll be better. Maybe it. Maybe now that they've got done over-explaining everything and saw how people reacted to this one, maybe they can go in, fix the issues, and maybe part two will be a superior movie. I don't know. We can only see. I am curious to check it out, though, because I am curious to see what brand of madness they're going in in terms of explaining everything going on. Do we know when part two is coming out? Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me look it up. Just... Justice League and Ruby Part Two. Uh, no, it doesn't look like it's been announced yet. Uh, okay, maybe next year. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um. But also, well, another thing. Apparently, these films are non-canon, so it really makes me question why they're bothering trying to over-explain everything. Just have fun. Like, if it's uh, non-canon, it doesn't matter to either continuity. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, just I just emb- embrace the silliness of it, you know? Again, that's what makes crossover so fun. It doesn't it doesn't need to be fucking canon. Just just enjoy yourself. Like just just go nuts with it. Like that like this part this movie did show that there are fun ideas you can have with these two IPs interacting, so just the only thing I'd hope for in part two is to just fucking go and have fun. Like, it doesn't need to even be a great movie, honestly. If, as long as it's just fun, who cares? Like, that's, no, that's, that's, that's fair. That's a fair ask. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like too far off, but. Yeah, well, at, so, at least you uh, saw it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, overall verdict, man. Pretty kind of bad, but flashes are good. So, <laughs> Flash because yeah. Flash is in the movie. Oh, I get the so, joke. I have a question for the both of you: mm-hmm. with the Little Mermaid remake coming out, what do you think is the worst Disney live-action remake? The Lion King. 
Well, that that is not a that is not a live action movie. That is an animated movie. Mulan. Mulan. <laughs> I agree, Mulan. <laughs> okay, look, if we're counting all the remakes, not just the strictly live action ones, Lion King is easily the worst for me. If that doesn't count, Mulan. Like, uh, yeah, Mulan, I think I'm with you. Mulan wins it by a hair for me because, like, okay. At least with the Lion King 2019, there were some new funny Timon and Pumbaa moments. Like, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, I know, I guess, but it's something. But Mulan had, like, nothing redeemable about it. At least to me, anyway. I The thing for me is that I do kind of appreciate these <laughs> remakes because... Whenever I've seen them and then gone back to the original, I appreciate new things about the originals, I guess, so. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not the reason why they're made. They're made no. to make money. Yeah, they're made to make money, which is why I'm not seeing the new Little Mermaid at all. I'm yeah. not watching it, and no, I'm kind of sad. I'm kind of sad that I'm not because I know if this thing bombs, Disney's going to immediately throw the lead actress under the bus. Like that's just what they're going to do. I mean, I don't think it's going to bomb, but if it does, you just know that that's what they'll do. Right. Did you see the the Twitter post where someone shared that it was in a movie theater and they were playing the trailers for uh, the new Transformers and the Little Mermaid accidentally on top of each other at the same time? Damn, I gotta give it to you, that's funny. (laughs) And apparently people were saying how, like, it actually weirdly syncs up. (laughs) You know, speaking of Transformers, I honestly never get tired of seeing that trailer in the theater. No, it, like, I am, okay, so, I'm gonna be a fucking fangirl for a second. I am a huge Transformers fan. Mm -hmm. I am so happy these movies are good again. I fucking adored Bumblebee. Yeah, Bumblebee was great. I am so excited for Rise of the Beast. It looks so fun. That last trailer got me so hyped. I am just, I'm just... I'm just so ready. <laughs> all right, so let's do like a very quick rundown of all the other Transformers movies before this. I've first, only seen the first three Bayformers. Yeah. So. Well, okay, I so, can I can talk on all of them except the fifth one because I never saw that one. So okay, <laughs> well you you don't need to bother with that one because <laughs> you honestly you don't even need to bother. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so Transformers one, uh, ah, still holds up. I I, I, I like that, that one. Fu- I like that one fine. It's, so it's I haven't cool. seen it since 2007. I have a feeling if I watch it now, I'll, I'll like it a lot less than I did then. But I did enjoy it when I saw it in 2007. I rewatched it a couple years ago. Uh, solid 6 out of 10. Yeah, I'd say 6 it or maybe a 5 if I'm feeling really critical. It's It's not great. I don't like the human stuff. But at least it's not as overbearing as it would be later. When it was actually focusing on the robots fighting, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah. But then you get to Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, and it just poo poo garbage. Fucked up. Yeah, poo poo garbage. Was, one out of this, ten. This was written during the writer's strike, and it shows. It was Ash. That's being too kind to it. It wasn't written. They this movie had no script. <laughs> uh, so what? You're well, saying, it's a Bay movie, so that's kind of given. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not even be making a joke or being a jackass. From what I can tell, everything I've looked up, this movie had no script. <laughs> yeah, it was like, ju- like I said, this was made during the writer's strike, so, mm-hmm. it, and again, it fucking shows. It's really bad, it's really sexist, it's really racist, um, 
Well, they all are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this one really shows, especially with um the Skids and Mudflap characters. The um, oh the, yeah, uh, wasn't that Tom Kenny? Tom Kenny voiced Mudflap. I think uh, no, he voiced Skids. Uh, they're both not to sound racist, but they are both the fucking same. <laughs> like <laughs> Tom Sorry. Kenny voiced one of them. The other was voiced by Reno Wilson. Uh, oh boy, yeah, that movie was garbo. Yeah, I really don't like that one. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And Dark of the Moon. Uh, Dark of the Moon is like a slight improvement, but that's not really saying all that much. <laughs> I'll give Dark of the Moon a three because it's yeah. still really bad, but... I'm going to give last, it a one. It's bad. Like, I think the last third, where it's just a giant action sequence in the city, was just kind of stupid enjoyable. If it didn't have the human shit, I'd probably... Enjoyed a lot more. It's still really bad, but it had a bit yeah. of fun to it. I, yeah. I like I like the giant robot worm that um sh- that uh that shockwave rides rides that that was pretty yeah. cool. And shockwave's always been one of my favorite Decepticons, so I'm happy he he's here, even though he looks like shit. So so yeah, uh, two out of ten for Dark of the Moon for me. Uh, I have not seen Age of Extinction or Last Night. I so have seen was- Age of Extinction. And I'm gonna say Age of Extinction's the worst one. Really? By uh, far. I, it's worse than Revenge of the Fallen? Yes, I know how, that's hard how to... So? How so? Okay, so... People are always shocked when I say I think Age of Extinction is the worst one. But I have good reason. Um, the thing with Age of Extinction that makes it the worst for me is it has the same problems that make the other Bayformer sequels so bad. But on top of that, Optimus Prime is a fucking psychopath. He is such an unlikable character in this one. What he does he is, do? Um... He is A-OK with threatening to kill humans, and even does kill one near the end of the movie. He kills Kelsey Grammer's character. Wait, are, are you fucking serious? Yes, I'm serious. And, <laughs> oh, and by what? the way, yes, by the way, yes, Kelsey Grammer does slum it in this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, oh my god. Um, yeah, and he's, he's pretty much just an asshole who wants to kill everyone. Um, he's psychotic, I don't like him. Uh, but aside from that, the characters still suck. Um, I'll admit Mark Wahlberg makes for a slightly better lead than Shia LaBeouf, but (laughs) anything good I can say about his presence in the movie is canceled out by the fact that there's literally a bit in this movie about someone in who's like over 18 dating a teenager and having a fucking laminated state law on hand to justify it, which felt like projecting to me. Oh, that was from that one. Yeah. Oh man. I um, mean, I mean, there is a story of of Megan Fox and when she was underage and one of her one of one of his movies being directed to go under a waterfall while wearing a t-shirt. Jesus oh Christ. God. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you know. Mm. Um. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna add this because it was a whole discussion on Twitter, but. Fuck those people who are trying to revisionize, revise, go back to these movies to try and say that they are. Yeah, like, they are, why are they you... are bad? Like, but to go back to the fourth one for another thing, you, did you think the uh, twins from Revenge of the Fallen were racist? <laughs> oh, there's Boy. more racist robots. There here? is an Asian-themed samurai mm-hmm. Autobot with the voice of Ken Watanabe, who is too fucking good for this movie, by the way. And he is oh, not, and oh. he is decked out in samurai gear. And his face is yellow. Uh, are you shitting me? 
I am not shitting you. <laughs> that's Holy that's shit. very, that's that's not surprising. It's Michael Bay. You can mm-hmm. tell. <laughs> like, but another. But I think the thing that makes this more infuriating to watch for me than Revenge of the Fallen is that Revenge of the Fallen did feel a bit long, but it was just mostly annoying. This one drags ass. Like, like there's a point where I thought we were at the climax and we were about to wrap it up, but there was still, like, 45 minutes of more movie. <laughs> and I just yeah. felt dead inside. Yeah. And I was I hated watching it. I hated the fact yeah. that I was watching Optimus, who's always been, the, like, for full context, Optimus was kind of like my fucking hero as a kid. He was, he represented all these positive qualities. He was such a good character, a good leader. And here he is, just fucking killing mercilessly. Yeah. I hate yeah. also, I, I feel, it, it, it gives me, it, I'd honestly say the feeling of seeing Optimus kills, kill people hurts me more than seeing Batman kill people, and that's already bad enough. Like, <laughs> Yeah, also, Michael Bay, your movies are not good enough to justify being two and a half hours long. Yeah, I didn't bother with the fifth one. I don't care. Like, uh, uh, A couple of friends of mine on Letterboxd reviewed it. They say shit like, Michael Bay had to be on some fucking ungodly substance to come up with this shit. That was, uh, oh, that was from 24 Frames of Nick. <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely insufferable onslaught of utterly incomprehensible plotting. Yeah, that that's par for the course for those movies. And then, of course, came Bumblebee. I love and Bumblebee. Bumblebee is great. Like, Huge course correction. Like when I when I saw the when I saw the first trailer for Bumblebee, I cried. And you want to know why? Why? Because it was the first time in a long time I looked at a trailer for one of these fucking Transformers movies, and I said, "This looks good." And it was good. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. That whole, uh, I mean, the whole movie's great, but I can't, I can't not think about the opening sequence on Cybertron. Like, <laughs> yeah. they literally call themselves Decepticons. That doesn't raise any red flags. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and that's directed by Travis Knight, who you may know as the main creator or like lead of uh, Leica Studios. Yep, and he he did such a good job with this. It was so fun. And it, it yeah. is funny, because this movie started off as a prequel to the other Bayformers films, but because it was so successful, they retconned it into a prequel, into a the start of a new branch, into, into a reboot, basically. Okay, so, but just to clarify, this um, Bumblebee is like a completely separate continuity from the other Bayformers movies? Yes, um, yeah. there there were some references put in there during the time that this was supposed to be a Bayformers prequel. Like, um, there's a young version of John Turturro's character from the Bayformers films who has a brief cameo, and there's occasional mentions of stuff like Sector 7 and so forth. But it's so inconsequential at this point that it was pretty easy for them to just retroactively say, fuck it, this is a prequel now, this, th- or this is a reboot now. And then this new Transformers movie is going to be building off of that? Yes, yes. Okay, um, d- it, it definitely feels like a sequel to Bumblebee. Yeah, Rise of the Beast is basically a new movie following in the same continuity as Bumblebee and just ignoring the fucking um, Bayformers films. And that's this is especially so with that new trailer because from what, I do remember hearing that the that the last night the fifth Transformers movie revealed Unicron, and now we have this new Rise of the Beast trailer that says no Unicron's here now. Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, 
Although, interestingly enough, I'm looking at Shay Frillis' review of the film. Uh, he gave it a 6 out of 10 and says, gets worse the longer it goes on, but it's mostly really charming and cute. I disagree. I thought it was good throughout the whole running time. No, I thought it was really good throughout the whole thing. I mean, I, I, I liked I liked the friendship between between uh, the main character and Bumblebee. I liked the action scenes. The fact that they got Angel Bassett as a Decepticon makes me very happy in the gay way. Yeah. Also, think, Haley think, Steinfeld is a really, really good actress. Have you seen the True, True Grit reboot? I did. Yes, I have. Yeah. No, oh, good. she was really good in that. I think she was Oscar nominated for that. She was, yes. She got nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, and then she she was in this and Spider Verse in the same year. God, I love Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, <laughs> I do love really, that. Really I do really appreciate that we went from a series of five Michael Bay films where the women are treated as as sex objects, only, basically. Only yeah, only eye candy for the the male audience members. Um, and we went to a film like Bumblebee with a female protagonist who has agency and character and a full arc and story. And I think it, the script was written by a woman, if I were. Yes. Remember? Uh, I let me see. Who, let me see. Who it yes, was. And, um, Kathy Yan, I think, is who wrote. I think you're right. And um, I think she also wrote Birds of Prey later on. Uh, so. Christina, Christina Hodson. Oh, Christina Hodson. Then she wrote, then she wrote Birds of Prey. Yeah. And she's, she also wrote the upcoming Flash movie. Well, okay. just got really silent. Just got really well, silent. Well, I hope her script is good despite everything going against her. She made her. a good Transformers okay. movie, okay. so. But, okay, well, if I may, you know, divert the attention to The Flash for, like, just one second. Okay, everything that's as long I'm, as The Flash takes yeah. to, to run across the world, by yeah, the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, everything I'm hearing about the movie itself is really good. Yeah, okay, I wouldn't doubt it. Like, I, I think that I feel bad for the people behind it because they're stuck with, unfortunately, a huge elephant in the room, and that elephant's name is Ezra Miller. Yeah, and yeah, Andy Muschietti, or I'm sorry if I'm Muschietti. mispronouncing Muschietti. his name. Like, he has made really good movies before. He's made Mama, he's made It, and now he's he's made this. And so I don't doubt that it's going to be good, but... He just kind of has to run circles around Ezra Miller, if you'll pardon see, the see, pun. See, I think the advertising, this is why, like, the advertising is clearly trying to make it less about the Flash character himself and more about the fact that, uh, Michael, yeah, Michael Keaton, Keaton yeah. You, you have the fact that Michael Keaton Batman's there, you have the fact that this is the last film with Ben Affleck in the role, um, Zod is back, um, and we're kind of in an AU Man of Steel, and we have Supergirl, and I like all those things, I just wish they aren't in this movie, like, I'll probably see it, like, I'll probably see it just out of curiosity, but... I'll see it yeah. eventually, but I'm not really that, like, thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. like, I'll just, I'll just do what Jazzy does, like, the Flash is played by no one. Basically, I'll do what I did with Black a- with Black Adam and see it months later without any fanfare. <laughs> Probably the best idea. Like, fun. Speaking of Black Adam, I actually got to talk about like so. I've been talking about this on Twitter. I'm actually doing video. I'm actually writing my first video essay. Hey, yes. And awesome. what are you doing it on, Prato? I'm doing it on the chaotic production of a WB animated film called Quest for Camelot. Never saw it. Great choice. It. I remember watching it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and the thing is, this thing is like kind of a huge rabbit hole of like a r- really chaotic production, and it bears a striking similarity to Black to to and how WB handled the film bombing is eerily similar to how they handled Black Adam. So <laughs> history repeating itself. 
So, yeah. so I found that kind of fascinating, and I, and, and I didn't realize that when starting this, but then when I was starting to write, I was like, is there a situation someone, oh, fuck, Black Adam, yes! Because <laughs> like, I wanted to start it by talking about something similar and then going into the quest for Camelot, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm she, really she excited shows, to see that. Yeah, movie. Jazzy Jazzy has shown me uh, a couple snippets of her script, and it is very funny and clever. And I uh, you, I'm, do you ever have a moment where you look at what you're writing and you start to realize something about the way you say things that it's like, am I really this way? Because there's a point where I was writing it and I was looking at what I was writing. And I was like, am I a snarky bitch? <laughs> like. No, that's that's fair because I, I as I've you know I'm a writer and um I I do notice that my writing voice is is different from my um conversational voice you know there's there's just a, a different cadence and a tone and a and a feeling to it you know mm-hmm. but like yeah it's it's kind of an interesting thing um the movie the movie itself I got just got delivered today so I'm going to be watching that as well as some of the behind the scenes documentaries to kind of help with the talking about the production side of things because I do want to at the very least take some moments to talk about how the film itself turned out so yeah no that sounds that sounds really good I can't wait for you to when you get to around to finishing it <laughs> yeah it's um this is kind of this is a very fun project to work on and it just I've wanted to do video essays for a while, but I couldn't think of a subject where I could talk at length and feel like I'm contributing anything new. Um, I wanted something really good to start. And now that I am getting on this and now that it's coming together, I feel like a lot of the other ideas I've had for video essays could actually come into fruition a bit better. So, Yeah. And, you know, I, I too was really surprised to see that not a lot of uh, video essays were made about this particular subject. Because it is ripe for a video essay. Right, and the thing is, I understand why, because most people just remember it as this kind of forgettable WB animated film that was made to capitalize on um, the Disney Renaissance. Because you can tell, like, if you watch this movie, or even a snippet, you can kind of tell they were trying to emulate Disney Renaissance-type films. Hell, um, it was rumored that the main character and um, the main guy we're both modeled after Belle and the human form of the beast intentionally. So, hmm. and if you look that at the characters, sense. and if you look at the characters with that mindset, that total like that totally adds up. I'm trying to look for something to confirm that because I'd love to include that in the essay, but I don't want to include it unless I can confirm that this was the intention. Yeah, you don't want to publish false info for sure on that. Right, right. It's like I've been very careful when talking about kind of the more out there aspects of the production and what was done and everything. Um, and it's been fun. I I like it's, it's taking me a bit. I'm, and I'm kind of taking multiple passes of what I've written so far, changing a few things and never being satisfied, but that's kind of part of the creator's mindset. (laughs) Like I, I think you can like edit a script or a project like forever, but at some point you have to stop, you know, right, right. You're all constantly going to be like, I can tweak this, I can change this, I can do that, you know. And I was reading aloud what I had so far to my roommate during a car ride today, and I was like, does this sound good? Do it, did, like, does any of, does any of the sentences sound awkward or anything, or does this all sound, like, fine, or? <laughs> it's good to also bounce ideas off of your friends. Very mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, also I, worth noting about this movie is that it actually was nominated for an Academy Award uh, for Best Original Song. For the, the prayer, yeah. The prayer, which yeah. is by who? it's by Celine Dion. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, like, Celine just, Dion sung it, yes. Yeah, it's funny because I know a lot of people who are aware of that song who don't know that it came from this movie. <laughs> like, Yeah, but the me. thing is, uh, the year prior, a different Celine Dion song uh, won. Yeah, like, and I think they were trying to replicate the same thing with this one, but then lost to fucking Prince of Egypt for When You Believe, which, in my opinion, yeah. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, that that makes sense, because that song fucks. Yeah, it does fuck. <laughs> the whole movie fucks, as a matter of fact. I, 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 before we, uh, <laughs> before we, obviously, a topic I wanted to cover, and something else that, that fucks, uh, and I, I don't mean to switch topics. If you want to stay on for another minute, it's cool. No, 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 it's fine. You, you can go on. I just want to say, I just wanted to say that I was working on this and just kind of how the process has been going for a first time video essay. So then every yeah. one of our, our listeners is, is mandatory to go watch that video when you put it out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I will so, yeah. Yeah. I'll, pro- I'll, I'll probably bring it out when it, out it. I'll probably bring it up when it is released. So I am, yeah. I I'm, Looking forward to that. Um, switching gears, um, because it's been on my mind, I want to talk about it. Um, uh, I finished Resident Evil Village uh, for the first time. Um, oh, remember, keep it spoiler free because I have not played it. No spoilers. I will not spoil the game. I, I will say that um, due to financial circumstances based around p- pandemic related stuff and job loss and stuff, my TV broke that I had connected to my Xbox that I would use where like my main consoles were hooked up, uh, broke yes like last year and I had it since 2009 and it was old. Um, so for months I hadn't been playing any PlayStation or Xbox games and just a couple months before that happened I had gotten <laughs> Resident Evil Village on Xbox. Um, so that game was just sitting on a shelf, uh, for a while before recently I decided to, uh, to move it and like figure out and clean things too much personal information to get into. But I, I, I now have finally decided to go through and finish village because I missed it. And I was like, this is a game I need to go back and actually finish. And I'm really glad I did because I loved every second of it. And I'm so glad people didn't spoil the game for me because every new revelation was exciting. Every moment was exciting. I feel like, so I already, loved Resident Evil 7. I think 7 is a fantastically great game. Uh, I think it's scary as all hell. Um, they did a really good job rebooting the franchise into that newer sort of direction. And the switch to uh, first person works really well. It makes you feel really immersed into the world that's, you know, like that they built. Um, it was a really nice reboot, but I, I do love that village. Without spoiling is is a way in which Obviously, seven connected into the entire Resident Evil series already. I feel like eight or Village um, intentionally was a game that wanted to like firmly root it much more like in with the rest of the games. And I don't want to spoil story stuff, but I will say that I really appreciated how they 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 took the mild reboot style of seven and then eight's kind of like like. Like a Resident Evil proper game, even though it makes a lot of really interesting di- changes. Jazzy, do you feel similar about that? Yes. Um, one thing I also want to say is the fact that Resident Evil Seven was very much trying to be a new, ver- like a new take on the original Resident Evil. Yeah. In it that was. same in that same vein, Village was kind of trying to be a new version of Resident Evil Four. And yeah, I definitely felt like it took from from, from inspiration from that. Yeah, 
And but they don't do so to the point where it feels like repeats of those games. Like you, Resident Evil Seven and Eight are vastly different experiences than Resident Evils One and um, Four. So absolutely, like, yeah. The best thing I could say about four is one thing I personally love is I love the gothic horror. Gothic horror is like something I've been wanting to see this franchise cover. So, mm, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, when we talked about this last on the podcast, I still I, I have to make I have to find way to get it, but I really want to play the remake of four. But the original four is still my favorite. It's always going to be my favorite Resident Evil game. And, and that's I, fair. I I really liked the remake though. So. No, no, no. That I mean, you you experienced the those games a bit more recently, you mm-hmm. know. And I think my love of it stems from that was the first Resident Evil game I ever played. I played it on my GameCube, so I also have those like really good nostalgic memories attached to that. So that's, that's always going to be like like my go to. But like, not to say that any of the other games aren't fantastic because they are too, you know. Right. Right. And. It's why I like Resident Evil Village probably the most. I, I kind of go back and forth between it and Seven, but Village was not the first one I played, but it was the first one I ever beat. So, yeah, and like and, the story was really good. I, 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 I think, I think it does a lot of really interesting things with the characters. Um, Ash, how familiar are are you with like Resident Evil games, like in general, like the overall? story i'm not saying like this specifically but like like do you know like the characters in the in the world and stuff well uh when i visited jazzy uh a month ago uh uh-huh. she did show me a little bit of uh which one was it uh i got the four remake at the time yeah uh and yeah from what i saw it looked it looked really fun and i'm also like like a tad familiar with like a couple of the events of Resident Evil Village, uh, namely the giant baby and oh, yeah. and the vampire lady. Um, I'm gonna say that playing. I what I love about Village is that you you it spans the entire range. It feels like also a celebration of the entire series, and that, that the game has sections where it's like it goes from like inten- intensely scary to like very action-packed and kind of silly and it, it it blends it all really well together but i don't think i've been more scared <laughs> than in that baby sequence in the game even uh, like i'll say this have you played the shadow of rose dlc um i <laughs> funny story i found a uh a gift card that has some money on it so i'm gonna pay for that today oh um, have fun <laughs> I saw people freaking out about mannequins. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just going to be playing it, and I'm just going to be laughing in the background in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I like it scary. Like, like that. I think what makes the baby sequence in Village work so well is one, it's an entire level where you're your defense you have no way to defend yourself after spending a game of ammo like ammo conservation resource management none of that matters for this thing no, you are none of that matters naked. you are alone uh you have nothing except for maybe some items to solve puzzles in this room and um you hear something and then and it shuffles out of the darkness and your soul leaves your entire body <laughs> 
I think I I haven't been more scared of the part where you're hiding under a bed in that sequence or in a closet. I think you can choose. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and can, all you can... I went under the bed first because I was way too scared and because it was faster and the sounds that it made and I didn't even see the goddamn thing. <laughs> uh, haunting. I don't think I've heard better. Uh, some of the best horror sound design I've ever heard in the game. Mm-hmm. Like rivals, um, the incredible um, Dead Space. Dead Space is incredible at sound design. Um, in this game, that sequence, chilling. <laughs> uh, I could sit here and praise the Resident Evil series all day. I love it. I love it when it's great. I love, love it when it's bad. I love it when it's weird. You know, I've. Mm. It's a soft spot series for me. Even the weakest entries, I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I like making the... So, I don't like Resident Evil 5 at all, but I like making the whole... Wesker's whole plan make sense in the context that he felt bullied by Chris when he laughed at the Titan, <laughs> the Tyrant Project. Oh. Chris. You're right. I need okay. to go back and finish 5, but I stopped 5 because I didn't feel like it was... A, it felt like a worse version of 4. You know, I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm just kind of ge- geeking out. Um, I I will say that I I, I today I decided to watch because I watched it in parts. But I, I did you see Resident Evil Vendetta from a few years ago? No. no. Okay. Have you seen any of the side animated films? The no. only film of Resident Evil I've ever seen is Welcome to Raccoon City. Oh, okay. Um. Okay, that's fair. So you haven't seen the CG animated stuff? Nope. Okay, then I didn't even know there was CG animated stuff. Yes, Japanese CG animated films. Um, there's a few of them. Uh, I was watching Vendetta, which features, uh, I think it's like the leads are Chris and Leon. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I started it and I was like, this film is notorious for having that that, that that battle scene that people make fun of where the characters are like doing close close quarters combat while trying oh, to shoot each other. Ash, that's the scene you use for like Evil Dead Rise and Scream going up against each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, so that's that was it. That's yeah, where that was it. Um I haven't gotten to that sequence yet, but these the the straight to video animated films are pure Resident Evil cheese, but I also love them for that. Like they're 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 weird and kind of silly, and they're not like I wouldn't go out of my way to say they're genuinely like well-made films, but because they are so dedicated to keeping it in the the vibe of the Resident Evil series, I I enjoy the hell out of each one I see. <laughs> um, and there's a new one coming out. It's the first one that's gonna have like all the protagonists. Like the it's gonna have everybody. So it's like Chris and Leon and Jill and uh, uh, Claire and all the all the the best players. It's coming out this summer, I think, in theaters at some point. But uh, you should definitely see the straight to video animated spinoff ones. They're cool, <laughs> at least for a laugh. You know, they're not like the most great, but like if you like the cheese, it's fun. I do like Resident Evil's cheese, like yeah, exactly. So it's some good, it's, a, it's some finely aged cheddar. <laughs> yeah, uh. Exactly. So oh, and I think 
I, I wanted to tell you that I, I think on the last time we were talking about this on the podcast, I asked did, uh, if you thought seeing Welcome to Raccoon City would be worth it. Um, and I did eventually see it. I do think it's kind of forgettable, but I, I'm not mad that I saw it because I kind of liked going like, ooh, that's the thing from the game. <laughs> it, 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 I just, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like the Easter eggs did nothing for me in that movie because no, a that's lot of there. I'm not saying like, like it's a good movie. Like I'm saying that I was like, okay, this is fine. You know, <laughs> the way they handled itchy, tasty bugs me. Like, <laughs> it bugs the fuck out of me. I. I I like I like the set design. I like that it felt like the games. That was cool. Set design is probably my biggest point of praise, as well as like how all the zombies and shit looked. That was good. Yeah, that's what I. The movie itself, not really a good movie, but I appreciate the effort to. It, it was obviously made by someone who wanted to pay tribute to the series. <laughs> Even though it's weird having the story play out in like a weird reverse order. Without spoiling anything. <laughs> yeah. But, um, anyway, I, I, I wanted to just heap my praise onto Village because it's awesome and, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, cause, you know, some, a lot of times on here we talk about things that we don't like and it's fun to, to talk about things that we're passionate about. <laughs> um, I had one other thing that I remember that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I recently watched the first, the theatrically released Power Rangers films. Nice. Have you seen those in a, in a while? Uh, not recently, oh. but I remember I watched, um, I forget if it was the original or Turbo when I was a kid on like VHS. So. Yeah, I watched both the original and Turbo in theaters in the 90s when I was a kid, and I think that was really the last time I saw them, and watching them again, I'm like, I was like, wow, these are a weird nostalgic trip, you know? I can't call them good movies, but I can call them fun and harmless, you know? Um, In both movies, the strongest aspect, to be, to be honest, is the villain. The villains are the most fun because you can tell that the performers are just like go like they're told to just like go full on silly with them, go as far as you can, and uh, I think that's fun. I did those because I actually watched. I wanted to see the new uh, Netflix um, Power Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I think it's Once and Always. Yeah, right. Um, and I actually really like that. I think it was better than the movies. It was nice. It was a, it was, it made me teary eyed too because they paid tribute to, um, to, uh, to the two people who passed away. Um, what's her name? Who played Trini? Um, the Yellow Ranger. I and know what you're talking about. I can't remember the, yeah, yeah. I, I can't, I can't name it either. Um, but Jason David Frank who passed away recently and they do, they do a nice tribute. A lot of the movie is about the Trini's character and her uh, daughter. Basically taking over the or learning to take over the mantle, you know, and so that was if you if you grew up on Power Rangers, it's it was kind of a really sweet, nostalgic walk down memory lane and sort of a a tribute to the people who passed away. And I thought it was sweet. And it was made by obviously by people who cared, you know. Mm -hmm. So it didn't feel like they were just trying to do this quickly to like 
to to get views or like just to 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 you know it didn't feel cheap it felt like a, a good continuation i mean granted if you can't stand power rangers then it's not for you but if you have a affinity for it it's going to tug at your heartstrings also uh. you know it's it's funny you bring up power rangers because when i was at work today uh they were playing uh the 2017 saban's power rangers uh movie I like I that movie. It's I like dumb. it too. It's dumb, but I like it. I, I it's it's decent. Like I, I had a good time with it. I mean, it, it's nothing special or anything, but, it, but it's a good movie. I think it is. It does the best with the Power Rangers license in terms of a reboot that they could possibly do to try and make a legitimate um sort of series that they wanted to attempt. And I'm sad that they didn't get to continue doing it because I I enjoyed it. And I'm not saying it's a great movie, but I but none of the Power Rangers stuff was ever like genuinely like really that, great. That's you know, like the thing. that's the thing. I don't think Power Rangers by design is going to be that great of a movie. But no. like as as long as it's like just fun cheese, that's all that's all that matters. And I liked but even with the fact that I think the two thousand seventeen film is du- is dumb cheese, I think it had some good moments. There were some really genuinely uh great character moments and decisions they made when it came to um a lot of these characters like making uh making Trini uh a character who's questioning um questioning her sexuality was interesting um the fact that uh that uh Blue Ranger Blue Ranger the fact like making him autistic I thought was an interesting choice it did it it did a great job with this young cast. They were all really talented, and I think they right. did a really good job of char- making their characters well-rounded. Right, I think and they, I like, they And it had a lot of love for the material. I mean, the fact that Brian Cranston was cast as Zordon was kind of a fun little choice because not only was he a good choice for the role, but Cranston had actually, in his early years, had actually voiced a few um, minor villains in Power Rangers, so... That's a fun connection there. Yeah, he he voiced an anime at one point. That's fucking metal. <laughs> I, I I do like I do I do wish that got a sequel, but that's not I guess that's not how things are bound to happen. You yeah, know? it's sad because that credit that scene that teased the uh, fucking Green Ranger had me hyped. So I mean, everyone loves Tommy. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, All right. His, his passing was was uh, surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Wish I got to meet him, but you can't always meet your heroes. Yeah. I I am grateful though. Did you see that? Um, Carrie Fisher got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yes, yeah. I did see that. Oh, um, a few years ago, um, I was at a convention and I had the fortunate opportunity to meet Carrie. And she was as um, as kind of amazing as you would think. You know, she was very sweet, um, very um, herself. You know, if you heard stories about her, uh, she wiped glitter on my face, so I will always remember <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I was watching the speeches from from her daughter Billy Lord and Mark Hamill with like tears in my eyes, going like I missed her too. <laughs> So happy that she got her star. Um, I'm gonna have to go make an excuse to go down to Hollywood to go look at it. <laughs> mm. I need to see. I still haven't seen Weird Al star. 
Oh, yeah, he does have a star, doesn't he? Yeah, he got it at the same time as Lin-Manuel Miranda did. Oh. Why I think does it was he have like, one again? Because he's talented. <laughs> no, but, like, what movies was he in? It uh, it's, doesn't, it doesn't, well, he's been in movies, but it's, it's, the the Hollywood Walk of Fame doesn't, isn't just movie stars. They have, if you, if you go up to them, they have little, um, on the stars, they'll have, like, a little, like, television set picture, they'll have, like, a little radio thing, they'll have, like, they have a different thing based on how, what the, what medium the, the performer is from. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, I, I take it back, uh, he was... He did have a brief singing role in Moana, and he did have a cameo in Weird the Al Yankovic story. Yeah. Yes, and he was also in the Mary Poppins Returns. That is true. Yes, he was. Um, so I, I, I take that back. My bad. But, no, it's uh, okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a legit question, because he doesn't do a whole lot of movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, this has been fun. This has been a fun one. Yeah, this is. I think this is a good. Yeah, this is a good point. Um, this has been a really fun episode. I'm glad we were all able to to get jump on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes. So, and Crystal, with, your your assignment is to see Evil Dead Rise, so we no. all can talk about it. Yes, I, uh, I I I I don't want to say things publicly, but I, there there will be ways for me to go see said movie soon. And I, I don't like I don't, once, I once you do. Once you do, we're going to have to make, like, a whole-ass episode dedicated to it. Yes, we will do a spoiler cast and have Lizzie on, too. Yay! Uh, she also has yet to see it, I believe. Yeah, we need to bully Lizzie to see it. <laughs> no, but we need to bully you into seeing it. <laughs> Trust me, if I could, I would. <laughs> if you could, I would have you been would, there. but you can't, I, so you can't. I... I I would have been there opening night. Shit, I would have been there the day before to wait in line for opening night. <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I wasn't there opening night either. I would have been, but I was sick. Oh, that sounds like an excuse. No, just... no uh, I did see it a couple days later. <laughs> no, that's fair. Everyone has, we're adults. We have adult things. Adults. Adult, adulting sucks. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think we can all agree. That adulting sucks. So, uh, also sucks. You can find me on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter at Ashy Groovy, and on Letterbox at Ashy Slashy. Jazzy. You can find me at at Lady Jazzington on Twitter, as well as Jazzy Oliver on YouTube, and my website jazzyolivervo.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Crystal W Rocks. Um, I have a link tree which links to all my other links, including my medium where I write articles every once in a while. I wrote one about Resident Evil 4, so if you want to go read about that, you can go do that. Um, and with that being said, thank you again for listening to another episode of the Gauze Geekdom podcast. We loved having you here this week, and we will all see you I don't know who's on the next episode, but we will see you on the next time. Uh, we love you. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.